Howdy gamers, it's Layton here from Layton Night, the podcast that you're currently listening to in case you accidentally stumbled upon this, in which case I am sorry, but just wanted to let you know that there is a video version of this episode that is up on our Patreon for all tiers. So if you want to join us over there, depending on the tier, you can get all sorts of cool benefits. We do mini-sodes every week. We do some fun videos. Uh, You get access to our fan discord and overall it's a really lovely time and we would love to have you there. So without any further ado, here is the audio version of this episode. So if you want to do the video version, you can go to patreon.com slash Leighton Night or not. Really whatever floats your boat. Anyway, episode... Brian, I have an agenda. Oh, wow. That's great. Because I have literally nothing. <laughs> I was just thinking, should I have an agenda? And I had no, nothing. No, no. So this I is great. You. I'm happy to hear it. Here's what I want to talk about. Hmm. UFOs. Aliens. I what? So, I-F-O? You, I fuck you, off? <laughs> UFOs. Yeah. Or UAPs, if we want to go with the preferred uh-huh. nomenclature. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So I've always loved you. I mean, okay, that's not true as well established on this show as a child. Aliens were the scariest thing in the world to me. And I was obsessed with them in a fear kind of way. But, you know, as we've also talked about on this show, I love ghosts. I love cryptids and aliens and everything. Mm -hmm. Do I think Mm -hmm. they exist? No. Doesn't mean they're not fucking rad. Yeah. It doesn't mean they're not fucking rad. This is why the X-Files exists and was cool. Yeah. So, as always happens, every once in a while, I'll check on like what's going on in, in the the UFO head community. And it's like every couple of months, there'll be some military guy who shows up I know. and is like, I've seen stuff. And then all of them are like, this is it. It's happening. Yep. Yep. And then yep. the interview comes out and it's just like, I know a guy who knows a guy who saw some craft and that's it. And then everybody's really disappointed. And I, yesterday was going through and I was just like, all right, Google, show me the most convincing evidence yep. that there are UFOs. Best. Show me your show best me, evidence. Show yep. me your best. I want the best arguments. And it's so funny and sad. <laughs> it <laughs> because, is. It really is. But yeah, it'll be like, this is the best footage I've ever seen of a UFO. And it's a fucking bird. <laughs> and it's a bird or it's something where there's a very plausible explanation. Yeah. Or it's some fuzzy bullshit that you can't make heads or tails of. The best evidence sucks. And you know what? It's funny you say this because just a week ago, I got a text, I, a, a, an old friend of mine. I had sent him a, uh, is a, an old music friend of mine. And I have not responded to this. He texted me two days later. Apropos of nothing. UFOs everywhere, BT Dub. And I was like, what? So did something happen in the UFO world? Yesterday, there was one of these military guys doing a, you know, nothing burger interview that was very hyped up. But, you know, I was looking through the aliens subreddit and the UFO subreddit and the abduction Mm -hmm. subreddit, which abduction stories are like a whole other kit and caboodle because reading those, it's like, 
oh, this is sad. I hope that you're getting help. Yes. But it'll be like a video of a dot moving around in the sky and then everybody will be like, I've been seeing those too. (laughs) And there are a bunch of things that can move, like, you know, dust motes and bugs and birds and planes and balloons. Lights reflecting off some shit. Lights reflecting off of shit. And also just the straight up like CGI ones or they'll post pictures of like, here's a Renaissance painting with a thing in the sky. Right. Oh my God. It's just depressing. I was I was reading stuff for so long yesterday and by the end of it, I just felt so empty because it's like, it really does feel like finding out Santa isn't real or something. Mm-hmm. Like that perpetual feeling of, I want to believe so badly, so badly. I, you know, every time I look up at the sky at night, I hope, I would Mm -hmm. love, love to see something that I couldn't explain. Some sexy alien comes down and is just like, hey, yeah. Which would be better, a sexy alien or a really gross alien? I know where my money is. Really gross alien. Yeah, 100%, right? Yeah, yeah. Some blobby bullshit. Yeah, tentacles, like nasty. No clear eyes, like some Cthulhu type crap. Well, it's like our grays the best we can do. I, they're very iconic. They're very fun. Yeah. But come on. It's bipedal. humanoid, bipedal. Yeah, yeah. Boring. Show me a bug thing. I want to see something I've never seen before. Correct. I don't want some like Star Trek makeup bullshit where we put a different forehead on a guy. Yeah. Like, Something radically different. Yeah. But I was reading, you know, it's always like the line with abductions of like, this person really, really needs some help. And I hope they get that help. Or this person is LARPing and they're like writing a really good story. And Mm -hmm. I read one of those yesterday that was a guy who was just talking about his abduction experience. And it, you know, really hope not real because otherwise I hope you're okay. But this is my favorite type of post that's kind of like creepy, which is the story is fascinating. The storytelling is bad. Where it's like somebody who is not a writer mm-hmm. or a storyteller. That, you know what I call that genre? Science what? fiction. Yes. Yes. That's exactly what it is. You know, I reread all of the Harry Potter books last week just because I had them in my library and I was feeling nostalgic or whatever. And then I reread all the Hunger Games books. And Hunger mm-hmm. Games... I read them when I was in middle school and high school. And it's the same science fiction thing where it's like the details and the world building are really interesting. The prose is like, God, awful. It's so bad. It's like almost can't get through it bad in terms of how clunky and poorly constructed it is. But then you get to the details of like how the society works and it's awesome. Yeah. I once tried to read some Asimov and I was like- Is, is it is it all this bad? This guy's a legend. Like, how is yeah. this so bad? Like, cool ideas, poorly conveyed. <laughs> and that's science fiction, which is such a bummer. Anyway, so this post was a guy talking about it being abducted multiple times throughout his life. But the little details that were in it, and if anybody at home wants to read it, it's like Reddit user throwaway alien. Okay. Uh, and you'll find it pretty easily. But I keep thinking about the details from it because... They're really interesting. Like one of the things was like every time they would bring me up as like a gesture of friendliness, they would give me a bowl of salt because they thought that that was like a thing that would make me comfortable. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a cool detail. (laughs) 
There was also the aliens called themselves friends of friends. And that where they come mm-hmm. from is, quote, far away, but close to the side. That's a cool phrase. Right. Like yeah. Like these yeah. details have just been jangling around in my head. Yeah. So I just I really hope that person's just a good writer, hopefully. Well, and also, you know, people evolve, right? Yes. And this person could be a child. We don't know. You know, it is sure. trying stuff out. Could be a teenager finding their voice, whatever. But yes, I like, you know, science fiction in general as a genre. I do not read science fiction because generally speaking, just because I can't handle the writing most of the time. I will make exceptions for things that are recommended by trusted sources, but it's a pretty heavy lift most of the time. Here's me reversing a popping on the audience. If you have recommendations for like speculative fiction or science fiction that has like really interesting world building and the prose doesn't suck, this is important, (laughs) and the prose doesn't suck, please tweet or Discord or whatever. Like I want to know about it. I can make a recommendation. I have a, an old yeah? college friend uh, who's an amazing writer. His name is Brian Francis Slattery. He has Sick four-ish name. books out. We did a bunch of music stuff together, and he has three or four books, I think. And it's like literary sci-fi. It's weird, but not in an off-putting way, if that makes sense. Gotcha, yeah. Oh, yeah, I've heard of Spaceman Blues. I never read it, though. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so that's cool. an old, old buddy of mine. He actually came to the variety show, the Ninja Brian variety show in New Haven. And he's also a very, very good musician. He does a lot of like old time music. So I recommend his, if you want literary, well-written, speculative fiction, he's awesome. Amazing. You know, 1984 has stuck around forever because it's a great book. And I feel like that in Brave New World, I feel like are two just like excellent examples of like, we live in a society and it's fucked up. Like, I love that. I eat it up. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, there are a lot of people who like amateur writers who go really, really hard on world building, but nothing else. And that's how you get the sci-fi stuff where it's like, I ain't reading all that. <laughs> You've done all the world building, but you do not have a story. Like you need to right. have the cool world with something happening in it. <laughs> Indeed. So I have something kind of related that we can talk about that I wanted to talk to you about. This is why Tolkien is pretty great or would have been great had they stopped after the Lord of the Rings or maybe the Silmarillion. Everything beyond that is a little much for my personal tastes, but there's this tremendous world building, right? I believe it started with him constructing languages and wanting mm-hmm. to build shit around them. But there's a great story, you know, like a classic hero's journey kind of story going along with it that's very fun and compelling and has lasted a long time because it's great. But I don't know exactly his process. There's some Tolkien heads. Actually, one of my closest friends, if not my closest friend, is like a Tolkien fanatic, and he could talk about this stuff off the top of his head. He's the only person I know who has a, or had, I think he still has it, a piece of furniture in his apartment devoted just to Tolkien stuff. Wow. So he's a Tolkien expert and could talk about this. You know, so Tolkien started with some insane world building, but didn't put that shit out because he waited to write a story. So the thing I wanted to talk to you about is we have started showing Audrey the Lord of the Rings movies. Oh, Rachel mentioned this the last time I was over. Yes. How is Audrey taking it? Yes, yes, yes. She is really into it. Was she scared of Uh, parts of the movie? 
she was sad. She was not scared. I thought the Nazgul would scare her a little bit. They didn't. But she was sad when Gandalf falls, and she was sad when Boromir dies. So that was what she was most affected by, was death, character death, not Mm. by scary monsters and super creeps. Bowie reference. Wow. Are there orcs in the first one? I always thought yes. the orcs were scary. Yes. Yeah, I thought she'd be scared with, like when the Urukai like come out and they're like, bleh, bleh, you know, monster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nothing. Which means uh, that she might be ready for other stuff too, because I think a year or so ago, she would have been too scared of that. But yeah, she was into it. So we just finished the second one. She liked aww. the battle, the Helm's Deep battle. That was okay. Of course, Two Towers is great because we bring Aowen into it and you have a a badass lady kicking ass. Yeah, it's very Zelda-y. Very Zelda-y. I think what she didn't like about the first movie is the female representation is, uh, shall we say, not the best. So true. It's basically just Arwen, who is awesome, but not really doing much, right? Basically, is just there to smooch Aragorn and be like, wow, Aragorn, you're so great. So I think adding a couple more girls in made... Audrey happy, which is great. But yeah, like she loved the Balrog, thought the Balrog was cool, laughing at Gimli, was excited by the Hobbits, loves Gandalf. You know, it's it's awesome. Is there much scary Gollum stuff? Yeah, I haven't seen these movies in probably like 15 years. At least in the first two, there's nothing scary. There's just Gollum being, he has the two Gollums, the you know mm-hmm. dark Gollum and friendly Gollum. And so dark Gollum is a little bit like, let's murder those fuckers. You know, mm-hmm. and friendly Gollum is like, yay, hobbits. So she's not scared by the Gollum stuff, but she also thought his name was Goblin, kept calling him Goblin. Is that Goblin? Going Goblin mode. <laughs> yeah, full Gollum mode. Gollum mode, FR. So yeah, but it's very exciting to start down this path her with her. horizons are broad. I mean, she's nine years old. I feel like nine, nine was when old. I started seeing more stuff. Yep. I read Hobbit and Lord of the Rings when I was 10, I think. Yeah, me too. So it's right around that time. And I started, you know, as many people do, started with The Hobbit and then moved to Lord of the Rings. I don't know if we'll show her the Hobbit movies. Honestly, I never saw the third one. After the second one. They're pretty mid. I was like, they're just boring. Why? They're just really way too long. I love Martin Freeman. I like a lot of those actors, but it's like, oh my fucking God. The highlight is like Stephen Colbert's cameo, just knowing what a huge Lord of the Rings fan he is. I forgot he's in it. Wait, what? You see him for like two seconds in the second of the trilogy, I believe. Really? Yeah. Um, But, you know, there are like compilations and clips of him really nerding out about it on uh, Colbert Report and Daily Show. Interesting. After we had this conversation about movies that she could probably watch, I watched Men in Black for the first time in forever. That movie is fucking amazing. Just a perfect tight 90. She'd be into it. Well, if she could get over Vincent D'Onofrio being scary, I think (laughs) she would be into it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That was my flawless Vincent D'Onofrio I mean, that's basically what he's doing in the movie. What are his lines? Sugar. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I think she could get over that. Yeah, the rest of it's silly. There's nothing, like, sexual in it. There's not... Right. Any, is there any swearing? Not really. I think Other it's than, PG. like, hell and damn. I mean, it's entertaining. It's fun. You got the world building. Crazy aliens. Yeah, it's just fantastic. It's a great straight man and Will Smith 
situation. I mean, it's just delightful. And then I watched the second one, which is like, okay. Yeah, the third one is good, though. Bill Hader's in that one, right? Oh, yeah, that's right. He is. I forgot about He's that. He's Andy Warhol, question mark? Yes, I haven't correct. seen it. I've, I've only yes. seen that scene because, you know, I'll just track down anything Bill. Th- also, Jermaine Clement is in the third one. Uh-huh. He's the one of the bad guys, the main, like, bad alien. I remember thinking the second one was bad, but really enjoying the third one. There's, like, a very touching kind of emotional mm. core oh, nice. to it. It's like a time travel story where they go back to the 60s, I think, but not in a bad way. Yeah. That first one does not mess around with any dumb, like you don't see anything else in Will Smith's character's life other than mm. he is a cop for a minute and then he does alien stuff. Like it's it's just yeah. very like economical, respectful of your time, mm-hmm. funny, interesting, good action, yep. done. And then you're out. And then there's a men in black rap and you can't get any better than that. I mean, like that. it's just a perfect, have a good time, fun movie. I mean, that was like peak Tommy Lee Jones being Tommy Lee Jones, too. And he's so good in it. He's He's great. When he crushes, like he does in that, No Country for Old Men, another example, where he's just the best. He's so great. Yeah. He's so hot in that era. Yeah, he's just, uh, you know, he's got that thing. It's very much like Harrison Ford, where he's very stoic, but there's like a gleam, right? Where it's like, Ugly, oh, yes. this guy's got an edge to him, right? <laughs> and what what was it? He was Al Gore's college roommate, I believe. <laughs> I think that's the famous fact wow. or something like that. Yeah, there's some connection. What are other college famous connection. roommates? So there's Craig Mazin and Ted Cruz is the other one right. that I can think of. Right. Are there any other famous and they were roommates? Uh, there definitely are and none of them are occurring to me here. We're going to Google this right now. Famous roommates. Celebrities who used to be roommates. Okay, here we go. There's a BuzzFeed article. And the pull code is, oh my God, they were roommates. Of course. Yeah. Judd Apatow and Adam Sandler. This says Andrew Garfield, Eddie Redmayne, and Jamie Dornan. Raven Simone and Lindsay Lohan. (laughs) Jonah Hill and Justin Long. Okay. See, these are all like people who work together, moving in together. Here we go. Here we go. Robert Downey Jr. and Kiefer Sutherland. I mean, they did stuff together back when, but that's fine. Stanley Tucci and Ving Rhames. That's what I'm talking about. I would watch that sitcom. Yes, I would. Stanley was the one who gave Ving his iconic nickname. Ving? Okay. Yeah. Wait, Emma Stone and Bradley Cooper? Now, this is stupid. They lived together while they were shooting something. Yeah, it does not count if they're like buddies. The Craig Mazin and Ted Cruz thing is funny. Because they're two very different people who would both happen to do their own stupid things. Now, here we go. Michael, Michael Douglas, Douglas and Danny, and Danny DeVito. DeVito. Right, cause, but they did a bunch of stuff together, too. But that's still great. They met in college. Yep. I hate the Emma Stone, Bradley Cooper one. What are we doing with that? That's not what we're fucking talking about, and you know it. Yeah. We needed to get to 20 items on this listicle so that I can get paid $2 for the article that I quote-unquote wrote. Yeah. I want to return to my original question, which was what what other movies are kind of in the docket of maybe Audrey can watch them? Uh, yeah, right. So let's see. Rachel had one. What was it? She's seen Star Wars, so we've done that. Mm-hmm. Probably not the Star Treks because there's no way she's going to like them. Those movies, like 
Wrath of Khan gets too scary for sure with the fucking brain bug thing. Right. The original one is way too boring for a kid. Maybe four. I might show her Star Trek four. But she also doesn't know who any of these characters are. But that's fine. That was one of my first. She doesn't need to. She doesn't need to. They're fun. We showed her the Goonies. Did we talk about that? Oh, no. Did she like it? She did. Wow. Okay. Also, speaking of uh, Lord of the Rings, Sean Astin. An early Sean Astin film, The Goonies. Oh. Also, fucking Josh Brolin as like workout dude, 18-year-old or however old he is. You know, his 80s gym gear. Fucking great. Martha Plimpton is awesome. Like, lots of great people in that. Kehi Kwan, of course, in one of his iconic 80s roles. She liked that a lot. Mm. You know, I want your child to eventually like horror movies. Sure. Um, I think I watched Poltergeist somewhere around that age. No, definitely too no much No way? For her. Okay. No, yeah. no way, no how. Because, can you guess why? Well, that's part of it. Also, Closet (laughs) Monster. Also, I'd like to sleep for the next week, which I will not if my daughter fucking watches Poltergeist. Oh, the skeletons in the pool. All of it. All of it. Yeah, you're right. You're right. It's the face peeling and the meat moving that I think scared me the worst as a kid. Like the the face peeling now as an adult is like one of my favorite moments in a horror movie. It's amazing. Yep. That movie rules. I watched it again recently. And it is just so great. Yeah, it's an awesome time. It's an awesome totally, time. It nails definitely the tone. directed by Toby Hooper, one hundred percent. All the homework. No, no, a Toby no. Wait, people, people say it really was, but I don't know. I don't know. That face peel is the most Spielbergian Spielberg shit I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, well, you know, Director's trademark: person was, loses was, face. Was felt. Whatever. There's not enough of trying to show the female characters' asses. That's how you know it's a Toby Hooper movie. <laughs> Although there are a lot of shots of uh, what's her name, Joe Beth Williams, in like underwear. Mm, right. True. I haven't seen Poltergeist in forever. Oh yeah, she's like wearing underwear in a lot of a lot of shots there. Mm. Also, just a great score. Who did the score for Poltergeist? Is that John Williams? I don't think so. She's seen Princess Bride, right? She has. That's Rachel's okay. favorite movie. So she has seen that. We showed her that. Yeah, because Rachel loaned me ago. the um, Carrie Elwes book that I need to read. Yes. Yeah, because I think when I was like 9, 10, Princess Bride and Monty Python and the Holy Grail were my two favorite movies. I think Holy Grail probably will wait on for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. That movie actually really freaked me out when I was a kid. Really? The bloody, like, the sword through the Black Knight's visor. Fucking, I did not. (laughs) I couldn't handle it. So I I grew to love Monty Python as a teenager. Uh, Mm -hmm. I haven't watched a lot of those now, and I'm curious if they still hold up. I'm sure some of them don't, and I'm sure some of them do. But the viscera present in a lot of Monty Python really disturbed me Hmm. as a kid. Like, Meaning of Life was out. Was Meaning of Life, like, 85-ish? I saw that. Like, you know, at a cousin's house on VHS and was very upset about it. For Mm -hmm. me, when I was that age getting into Monty Python stuff, it was always like the sex jokes that made me uncomfortable. I didn't Uh have an issue with the... I think maybe because by that time I had muscled my way into being allowed to watch The Simpsons. And so I feel like that acclimates you to very cartoonish violence very quickly. That's true. That's true. 
yeah, the sex jokes and Monty Python doesn't do this as badly as, you know, the or text of this, which is fucking Benny Hill, but like horny British guys, like horny middle-aged British guys. Yeah. Uh, there's just something icky about that. Like older British guy who's like, hey, oh, oh, you know, that uh, like, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. what the nudge nudge sketch is riffing on. <laughs> but I find that whole thing fundamentally upsetting to me that like horny British guy who's trying to coerce someone into like getting oh, naked or yeah. something. Yeah. Well, speaking of horny British guys, I, for some reason, don't know why this was allowed to happen, but my friends and I loved the Austin Powers movies when we were that age. Let's see. So you would have been born the year Austin Powers came out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, 97. 97. Yeah. But yeah, but the thing is, is we were so young and so naive that none of it seemed raunchy or sexual because we didn't uh-huh. get any of the jokes. We were just right. like, funny voices, bright colors, ha-ha. This is one of those things that really emphasizes our age difference, which is I went to see Austin Powers like right after I graduated from college in the theater before wow. anyone had seen it. <laughs> it was like on my, you know, I have a week between end of finals and graduation. And I took a trip to Burlington with a friend and we went to see Austin Powers in the theater where it was a big flop, right? No one went to see it. It was on DVD wow. that Austin Powers became like a huge hit. So oh. famously, Austin Powers did not do well in the theaters. And it was only afterwards that it really like gained a following. I mean, it was famously a hit with Young Layton on DVD with my little portable DVD player just being like, why do the fembots make me feel funny? I'm going to rewind and <laughs> figure this out. It's very funny. It is pretty great, honestly. There's a lot of funny jokes. Yeah. I have a lot of nostalgia for a portable DVD player and then like oh, yeah. a fat booklet of DVDs. I, You know yeah. you don't see anymore? I mean, I guess because the screens are on, you know, where you put your Google Maps or whatever, but like mm-hmm. vans with a TV that comes down from the top so the kids can watch oh, TV. We had one of those. Hell yeah, we <sighs> did. When you're in traffic behind one of those and it's like, mm-hmm. what are they watching? Yep. What are they yep. up to? We used to do long van trips, and we had, we had a VHS player, so it was pre Nice. we put VHSs in the van. I remember watching Buckaroo Banzai on our fucking van VHS player with a wow. maybe like a three-inch by three-inch screen. It's great. Oh, man. It's fucking yeah. Oh, awesome. yeah, and it looks like shit. You know what? There was a whole— Of course. I want to see— of course some sort of preservation effort because with that whole era and with my little portable DVD player, there are so many, like the DVD title screen menu design. There were oh, yep. For kids movies, there were so many games and like bonus features and all sorts of stuff. And so you could literally sit there and just like play games in the menu huh. for, you know, the Lizzie McGuire movie or whatever. But Shrek famously has very, very good bonus features. They had really fun games and they had like, sing-along things for the sequel. They had like an American Idol riff that Simon Cowell actually was in uh, where all the characters are doing covers of songs. It's awesome. I missed this entirely because I didn't buy any fucking kids DVDs. I was too young, right? When I was getting DVDs, I was, you know, in my Mm mid-20s or whatever, and I didn't get any of the kids stuff because why the fuck would I? And now we're not buying kids DVDs because why the fuck would we? You know, I desperately miss it for adult. Like I want a streaming service that also lets you have like commentary tracks. I love commentary yes, tracks absolutely. so absolutely. much. Has Audrey seen Shrek? She has. She likes Shrek. And we watched Puss in Boots in oh. the theater, which is 
an incredible film. Really? The new Puss in Boots movie is legitimately amazing, and I cannot recommend it more highly. It is great. I saw the first one when it came out when I was like a young teen, probably, and I was yeah. mad because they use part of my favorite Rodrigo y Gabriela song, but not the whole oh. thing before it really mm-hmm. pops off. Mm-hmm. So that that's all I remember about that movie. Yeah, I don't think I ever saw the first one, but this this one that just came out is fantastic. Go wow. see it. It's great. Animation's great. Voice acting's amazing. Mostly Latin cast, mm-hmm. including one of my favorite uh, current actors, Harvey Guillen, who's on What We Do in the Shadows. He's Guillermo. Uh, okay. And he's really great in this movie. I loved it. I've seen it twice now. I cannot Damn. recommend it more highly. Yeah. Has Audrey seen Shrek 2? I think she and Rachel watched the first two Shrek movies when I was like on tour. So I believe Those first she two has. are fucking great. Yeah. Shrek's a meme today for a reason. It hit that cultural zeitgeist of like mid-90s, early 2000s kids and just kind of stuck there. As I remember, now it's been a long time since I've seen Shrek. I almost said Shreen Sec, but I remember it being great. I feel like it's really notable for being like a thing that adults can enjoy and mm-hmm. contributes to the staying power. And also John Lithgow. Yes, <laughs> of course. So Gotta love John Lithgow. Speaking of now older actors who were in Buckaroo Banzai when they were mm-hmm. younger, Jonathan Banks, I did not realize, is in Gremlins. Did you know Jonathan Banks is in Gremlins? What? Does he still already look a million years old? No. He looks like he did in Buckaroo Banzai because he's about the same age. He plays one of the deputies and it's recognizably shit, Jonathan Banks, right? He's got hair. Okay. Look at him. Yep. Look at this handsome young man. I know, right? But he's still got that cadence. This is the one Jonathan Banks performance where he's he's kind of broad in this one. Huh. Like he's sort of a big character. He plays a like a hospital orderly or... Mm. monitor or something in Buckaroo Banzai too in about the same era. I'm hopping over from, you know, old guy who you see in a much older thing and then a slightly newer thing, but they still look old. So mm. I was thinking about George C. Scott of uh, in The Exorcist 3. Yep, yep. Which next time we do a movie watch through with Jory, can we pretty, pretty please watch The Exorcist 3? Now, I've never seen it because I'm worried it might be too upsetting. No. Okay. No. I think it has one of the best jump scares in any horror movie. You've mentioned this, yes. But it's not like a jump out at you jump scare. Like, it's scary because there's no sound. It's kind of violent. You know, it's not terribly gory. It's more of like a detective story and Brad I might close my eyes at a few points. That would be valid, but I've just been thinking about it lately because I I truly think it might be like one of my favorite movies of all time, and I've been wanting Mm -hmm. to rewatch it. I just I just think it's fabulous. Folks at home, even if you've never seen Exorcist 1, fuck Exorcist 2, it doesn't exist. You don't even need to worry about it. Just watch right. Exorcist 3, please. If you like horror movies, please. It's so good. Anyway, I, I brought up George C. Scott, yes. who was amazing in that movie. But having seen that and then going back and watching Dr. Strangelove for the first time and seeing mm-hmm. a slightly younger but very old looking oh, yes. still George C. Scott. Yes. Amazing. Yeah. I was going to say, do you notice anything absent? from the background. <gasps> what did you today. do? <laughs> okay. Those of you not watching this, I tried to hang the sign on the wall as I promised I was going to because it was on this giant fucking rack, which I, I want that corner of the garage back. So I was going to try to mount it on the wall, 
But the problem is you can't place it flush against the wall. There's like a unit in the back. And so I was about to go hang it. But the problem is you also can't bend it. And so if I put nails in it and hung the chains from it, I think it would bend the thing and cause the glass to break. Mm. So it's currently on the floor back there. Where it belongs. Where it belongs. I mean, for a long time, it was on that coffee table. So I don't know what to do with this sign. I don't want to just get rid of it. No. Although I I do a little bit and replace it with an LED thing that's exactly the same. Okay. But less breakable and better. Listen, I would love to have it in my apartment. I don't have space to have it in my right. apartment. Right, no, I, I, I know. And I would hate to get rid of it. But but let's just say that same. we did get rid of it. No one's buying that shit, A. B, what if we smashed it with hammers? What if we just like go Put all out, fucking gear, gear up, just... That's a pretty great idea. Can inside of neon hurt you, make you sick? Is it an environmental? Well, neon is a gas. You probably don't want to breathe neon. We could put some respirators on. I'd be more worried about the glass shattering than I would about the neon. There's not that much neon in it. No, but I feel like it would be really satisfying, especially for people who listen to the show. It would definitely be cool. And it shatters easily. I know that. Because I've broken it once. Yeah. Well, if you can't get the sign up there right now, we do have something else that can go on that wall that's relevant to the show. I don't know if we've spoken about this item yet, though. Oh, that's true. You know, we haven't, but this might be a good opportunity. Is it in the garage right now? It's it's right over here. Should I get it? (laughs) It's in the room with us right now. Yeah, please do. So I'll give you the, the backstory on this. Rachel got this from her job, and they were going to get rid of it. And then she asked Brian if he wanted it. And Brian said yes. So we now have this thing that Rachel so wonderfully procured for us. And I think it's very special. And it's allowed us to start a new tradition. Okay. So you haven't said what it is yet, right? No, I have not said what it is. All right. So you can see from what I'm holding up right now, it is a a tube. So this is a... Signed poster from the movie 17 again, signed by Zac Efron. Yep. And what's our tradition, Layden? What's our tradition? So Zac Efron signed it. Brian and I signed it. That's the Zac Efron signature right there. there. Yeah. Everyone who's guested on the show now has to sign this poster if they end up in Brian's home. And then maybe someday, years in the future, we'll auction it off as, you know, Layden Night history or whatever. Who cares? But... The only rule is you can't sign his face. Don't mess with his face. Now, the, the signatures we have on this currently are... Some bangers. So we've got the two of us. We've got Twerp. Not all of Twerp, but uh, Meowch and Have. Audrey. Down here. Can we see the Audrey signature? Mm-hmm. And I want everybody to know that I added the cum to Zach Efron's shirt after that, yep, right there. Audrey signed it. I, in fact, put a coaster on top of it just in case she came back in. So we've got Rachel, Mm -hmm. Peter, Agaston, Agaston, Jarek, Jarek, Jarek's friend, Leah, Vernon. Did JP sign it? JP had left before we signed this. Wow. Fuck that guy. No, I know. Uh, Who's this down here? That's not have, is it? No. Who knows? It'll be a mystery. Anyway. Yeah. You should put that on the wall. Cause then you can have Zach Efron in one corner and Jeremy Renner modesty pillow in the other. That's true. Have they been any films together? Let's look. 
IMDb advanced search, here I come. There's got to be like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon for this. Collaboration search here. Okay, I want okay, Zach name one. Efron to... Two people there. Zach Efron. Okay, you're familiar with the Oracle of Bacon, right? Uh, I am actually not. Is that a, a six degrees of Kevin Bacon thing? Yeah. Well, no. They have not been in anything together. The idea of the website is it will determine the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. So the default is you put in Kevin Bacon and then you can put in an actor and it'll tell you how many degrees away from Kevin Bacon it is. But hmm. you can do any two actors and Jeremy Renner has a Zac Efron number of two. So it was hmm. Jeremy Renner was in Avengers Endgame with Palm Clementiev, who is in oh, Save right. Ralph Mantis. with Zac Efron. I see. Okay, good to know. So, you know, I have an Erdish Bacon number. A what? Do you know what an Erdish Bacon number is? Nope. Okay, so a Bacon number is what you just said. It's mm -hmm. how many degrees away you are from Kevin Bacon. If you're in something with Kevin Bacon, is that one or zero? That's one, right? I think it's one, yeah. I think it's one. But Paul Erdish was a, a mathematician, a Hungarian mathematician, who was famous for collaborating with lots of people. And in math, before this fucking Kevin Bacon thing was a whole deal, Erdős number was a thing. Erdős spelled E-R-D-O-S with some diacriticals on it. And if you wrote a paper with Paul Erdős, you had an Erdős number of one. If you wrote a paper with someone who wrote a paper with Paul Erdős, you have an Erdős number of two. So you can have an Erdős Bacon number, which is, I believe, the sum of your Erdős number and your Bacon number. And because I have been in things, you know, not just NSP videos. So, for example, I was in the television show Good Game, a YouTube original. I didn't realize you were in Good Game, a show I never watched. I played an assassin. Of course you did. Yep. Uh, I think I was in two episodes of that. Just like a walk-on, essentially. So I have a number from that. If that TV shows count, right? I think. Yeah. Throws bacon numbers. Yeah. Why not? Uh, so I'll have something from that. Also, I get probably through NSP videos, but I don't know if we're counting those. I would argue we shouldn't. And then because I wrote papers with scientists, mathematical scientists, I have an Erdős number. So I have an Erdős bacon number. Do you know what the number is? Well, uh, let's see. How can I find my bacon number? I would guess my bacon number is... Three or four, I would guess. Yeah, I dropped a link to the Oracle of Bacon in this Encaster chat. So if you okay, wanna... great. So would it find me though? Somehow I doubt it. Somehow I doubt it. No offense. No, no, no. I probably agree with you. Let's Actually, look. full offense intended. Oh no, it does find me. I have a bacon what? number of two. What? Okay, I have a bacon number of two. What the fuck? Hell yeah! Wow. That is yep. wild. Through Markiplier, through InSpace through Markiplier. Through Markiplier. Okay, great. And then let's see if I can find my Erdős number. Erdős number huh. finder. I would guess my Erdős number is four. All right, well, I can't find this clearly. I'm impressed with your bacon number, honestly. I am too, honestly. I thought it was going to be a little higher. So, uh, yeah, I would guess my Erdős bacon number is six, which is pretty good. Pretty good. It might be lower. Uh, I would guess my Erdish number would come from collaboration with my advisor, 
Kenan Trilligator, who wrote papers with lots of other scientists. That is maybe one of the coolest names I've ever heard. Oh, he's one of the coolest Ken guys. Kenan Trilligator? Ken Intrilligator. Yep. Intrilligator. Okay. Uh, yeah, a really, really awesome dude and my thesis advisor and a, a very just awesome guy and a good friend. But he wrote a lot of papers with other scientists, including, I think, Ed Witten, and then through Witten, mathematicians. So I would guess my Irish number is four or five. I'll explain how this next question popped into my head after I ask it, but what's your favorite painting? And I'll explain how I got here. Anytime okay. I hear Kevin Bacon, I think of Francis Bacon. And then you think of the Velasquez, Francis Bacon one, the Pope Innocent the Twelfth. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's a good yeah. one. But there's an old school, like, decade ago Reddit comment that's like a guy talking about how my dad used to tell me knowledge is power, Francis Bacon. And the way that he heard it was knowledge is power, France is bacon. And so every <laughs> uh-huh. time somebody would say knowledge is power, this person would respond, France is bacon. And that person didn't find out it was a quote with an attribution of the quote until like later in life. And so anytime I hear Kevin Bacon or France is bacon, I'll think knowledge is power, uh-huh. France is bacon. To answer your question, I don't think I have a favorite painting. I think my favorite art experience is that Big old red Rothko room at the top of the Tate Modern in London. I have not seen this. So Mark Rothko, a.k.a. Dr. Blobs, designed a bunch of works for a hotel lobby, which was never made. And they basically recreated this. They put in a big room at the Tate Modern in London. And it's a big red room with a bunch of big red blobs. And I really like it. Wow, that's a real liminal space It very much is. Much like one of my other favorite art places, which is kind of different, it's the Rothko Chapel in Houston. So there's this multi-denominational, just kind of generally speaking chapel. What? That actually, I might like the chapel more. It's giant black, but not entirely black, canvases arranged in, I think it's, is it octagonal? I think it's octagonal. Yeah, yeah. And there are different sizes and different gradations of gray and black. And you just walk into this space. It's free. It's got a cool shattered obelisk outside of it, which is also worth looking at. And you just exist in this quiet, respectful, very liminal space for as long as you would like. And there's people walking through who just stay there, who just experience it and then move on. I was there recently when we toured through Texas on our last tour. I will, anytime I'm in Houston, I will go to this because it's just the best. It is, you know, one of those few places where you can, you can just be quiet. You know, you can just sit there with other people and be quiet and as many Rothko things do, but especially this one, As your eyes adjust to the light, you see variations in the canvases. When you just walk in, they look like big black blobs, you know, big black, solid black canvases. And then as you get used to the space and you adjust to it, and there's some ambient light from outside as well, you start to see shapes and non-uniformities in the the canvases. It's, It's a really wonderful piece. That's really cool. I had never seen that before. Yes. So that's way up there. I, I I tend to gravitate towards the more abstract stuff. Yeah, you do 
like abstract stuff, which is interesting to me. I do. The representational I'm less interested in. You know, I, uh, some of the, like, I don't know, cool artists, Dali, whatever. I'm like, I don't know. It's fine. Nah. Feels a little, trying a little hard for my personal yeah. tastes. The Dali Museum in Florida is fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. I mean, Persistence of Memory is like the size of a postcard, but all of his other ones are like, you know, took two years, go floor yeah, yeah, to ceiling, yeah. are just like massive and crazy. And, you know, yep. Dolly sucks as a person, but those paintings sure. are gorgeous, especially the optical illusion ones where you like see this huge, like 20 feet tall thing and then you go across the hall and you see the, you know, illusion of it. It's cool. Right, right. I, I also like the brutal Goyas. Those are cool. Oh, the, 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 bla- the black those paintings are, are amazing. Those are amazing. Saturn devouring his son is just it's the best. so fucking iconic. It's the best. You know, I'm not much for the impressionists, but some of those Syrahs, you know, the whatever Sunday on the Champs Elysees or whatever that is, that's great. It's a great painting. It's amazing for a reason. What about you? Do you have a favorite painting? Ooh, that is a good question. I will say a couple that I really like. Um, there's a painting of Ophelia by John Everett Millay. I always convince myself this one is by Frederick Layton, but there is a different Ophelia Frederick Layton painting that I don't like as much, mm. but that is still cool. And I like that there's a painter, Frederick Layton. Let's see. Like Francis Bacon is one of my favorites, but I think my favorite of his, this, this was my lock screen for probably like five years, but uh, painting 1946, if you search that up. Oh, yeah, that's great. Yeah, I, I'm sure you can see why I like this one because it's like, it's pink and there's Yeah, this is like exactly your face. color scheme. Yeah. Yeah. I like a lot of the Klimp stuff because I'm a, I'm, I'm a real basic bitch. I honestly would like a tattoo of that Ophelia Malay painting. Mm-hmm. Might be a little, you know, considering the scene that it's depicting, maybe I don't want to do that, but I think it's a gorgeous painting and I think about it all the time and I, I, mm-hmm. it's just beautiful because uh, I think I've seen sketches or something, but the surrounding like foliage and the log like Malay actually went to this spot and like spent a very long time painting that before he added in the figural stuff. Mm-hmm. I just think it's gorgeous. That's cool. I'll tell you who I don't give two shits about. It's Andy Warhol. Yeah, fuck him. Who needs him unless he's being played by Bill Hader? Nothing about Warhol has ever been the least bit interesting to me. I don't understand the obsession with Warhol. No. We should probably move on yes. to segments. Viewers at home, what's your favorite painting? Viewers? Listeners? And yeah, viewers? well, viewers, if you support the show and are watching us on <laughs> yeah. Le Patreon. Let us know what your favorite paintings are. And put links, 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 so we Back can see Back when them. I used to use dating apps, which I will never do again, that was my Tinder bio, was what's your favorite painting? Really mm. uh, sorts out. Deep. <laughs> no, it sucks. That was a terrible strategy. And, yeah. you know... No, people uh, don't I have like favorite Thomas paintings. Thomas Kincaid, the painter of light. <laughs> you know, I would take that over like some of the stuff that I got, you know. Come okay, now you have to say, what did you get? Oh, there was a lot of just like, here's a link to a drawing somebody I follow on Twitter. Did. Someone painted my dick. Here's a link to it. There was somebody I dated for a bit who sent 
a drawing that they had gotten a tattoo of that they told me they had asked the artist online if they could get a tattoo of it. And the artist said no. And they got the tattoo anyway. And it was what? a really and it was a really bad tattoo. And that's oh, wow. what their favorite quote unquote painting was. Oh my yeah. God. Wow. That one was not long for this world. Anyway, time great. for segments. Time for segments. Now our first also, segment. Hold on. I'll say this yes, really yes, fast yes, just yes, because yes, yes. Yes, if you want to get a tattoo of an artist's stuff that you like, ask them first. Ask them. Please. Yep. A lot of times you're picking something that was not designed to be a tattoo. You might be picking a sketch. You know, it's one thing when I like partner with Allison to do tattoo stuff because we know each other in our styles and we like working together. But, you know, not every tattoo artist is going to be like really stoked about getting this random thing. You don't know they're going to interpret it. And I've had people get tattoos of like, drawings of mine I wouldn't have wanted people to get tattoos of or it's like oh man I didn't mm-hmm. think this would go on anybody's skin forever this drawing looks like shit why would you do it? you could have asked me and I would have done a nicer version anyway yeah. always ask and respect and know what I would like is get the Magritte pipe but put under it Sissy Nepaun tattoo but spell it all wrong <laughs> and do it in Comic Sans or Helvetica Impact I was about to say I would slap anybody with Not a tattoo like that, impact. but if it was in Comic Sans, I would instantly respect that person. Pretty great, right? <laughs> that would be such a bold fucking move of that, but with Comic Sans, that's hilarious. But with Comic Sans, right? And spelled wrong. And spelled wrong. Okay, so our first segment this week, this is our pop culture recommendation segment. This is where you, Layden, and I, Brian, get to recommend something we've been enjoying in the world of culture, both high and low, can be a book, a movie, a video game, whatever. The segment is called What's Poppin'? And the theme song, which I believe you have heard before, goes here. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? Great. In the grand tradition of not belaboring the What's Poppin' introduction, I wanted to get that over pretty fast and move on. Kudos. Indeed. Kudos to everybody involved. Do you remember Kudos Bars? I Every time someone says kudos, I think about Kudos Bars. So, of course, I remember Kudos Bars. They were really good. Why'd they stop making yep. them? The little m M&M and one was awesome. I ate that bar many a day. Yep. I remember thinking, why isn't it pronounced kudos? I always felt like it should be kudos. King and kudos. Yeah. So, Layton, what's popping? What's popping for me is a collection of papers that I have not finished yet, but it's called Anti-Fandom, Dislike Ooh. and Hate in the Digital Age. That sounds great. Yeah. And it's part of a collection that I realized I had gotten another like journal from before. It was like spreadability. Like the whole thing is about like internet culture. But this book is just like a collection of essays of various like how parasocial relationships, but then also like hateful parasocial relationships and the communities that spring up around it and like what Mm. people like psychologically get out of bonding over hating something. Yes. Okay, great. I'm not super far into it yet, but so far it's been really, really interesting and it's very dense and very, very academic, which I love as the lens for Mm. like internet drama. It's fascinating. I've been really enjoying it. Great. So that is what's popping for me. What about you? What's popping? What's popping for me is a video game that I just finished called Tunic. Nice. Which I mentioned briefly on a mini. The way I would describe it is Elden Ring, but cute. It gives you 
jack shit to work with. Like you just wake up on a beach or a little fox and you have to figure out what to do. And part of the conceit is as you go throughout the game, you uncover pieces of the instruction manual, which are written in some script and a few English characters and words here and there. And you have to like figure out what shit means. And the instruction manual kind of tells you what to do or at least hints at what to do. And you can decipher it. People have, but you don't have to. And it's a great, great sound design and score. I really like that. Fun, you know, kind of blocky animation, very Link's Awakening sort of vibe to it. Fun puzzles, including some like fairly challenging ones, but just the the idea of giving you very little information, then having you have to uncover it along the way. But also the things you uncover don't necessarily help that much because you have to figure out what they mean even after you get them. I really liked it. So nice. I just finished it last night. And it's one definitely one of those like the less said about the better games. Just get into it. If you don't want to be confused, don't play this game. If you don't like the, you know, the feeling of being disoriented, don't do it. But- I really liked it, and I think it paid off. And Audrey is playing it, too. I love that. Yeah, uh, I love it, too. So, yeah, Tunic, highly recommend. Uh, I've been I've been quite a little gamer recently. Yeah, so good I, for I, you. I, I wonder what's up next. I did start to play Dead Space, or the re-release. Wow, really? Yeah. I would I not have pegged that as it. a Brian Wecht game. I know. With my relatively new PS5, I missed out on some classic titles, and there aren't too many AAA horror games for the Switch. So I wanted to get some classics. And they just put out this newer version of it or whatever. So I was I'm like, surprised yeah, you got that. a horror game to play. I don't mind horror games. I like horror games. You don't get too scared? It's not being scared that I dislike. It's violence. Oh, I see. So if it's like video game violence, that's generally fine with me. Interesting. Okay. I don't mind being scared. Would you ever play Alien Isolation? I would 100% would play Alien Isolation. I would love to watch you play it because that game is awesome. Mm -hmm. I could never personally play it, but I love watching people play it because that AI on the killer is just amazing. It's got a single player mode, right? It's not just multiplayer. Yeah. You can play it multiplayer. I thought it was just... Oh, no, no, no. I don't know anything about it. But it's not like a Dead by Daylight thing where it ha it's multiplayer. No, it's no, just no. A, it's, it's a story it's, it's mode. It's like a single game. player. Yeah, yeah. You, you shoot stuff and you run around and you can't kill the alien. You just have to hide. Oh, and the AI, I didn't realize And the that. AI is like really, really, really advanced. And so, you know, you can hide under something and the tail is fully articulated. So if the oh, tail shit. even tink, tiny touches you... It gets you. It's it's That's really awesome. cool to watch. I remember that game coming out because it was shortly after Audrey was born. So I believe the game came out in 2014. And we were playing after Dan joined Grumps and NSP got more popular. We played this Comic-Con adjacent gig at Petco Park, uh, which was like a, you know, a free thing next to San Diego Convention Center, Comic-Con 2014. And I flew from London to play this show and it was in Petco Park, but they put up a stage like basically in the bleachers. So like the seats are coming down. They set up this thing that goes down into more seats. And they had right at the top, like an alien isolation booth where you could go in and like do a demo of the Ooh. game. Yeah. So I'll always remember 
trying to set up for this thing and having the alien isolation booth at the top there. That was the first big show we ever did with NSP. And I remember being like, that line, the line that's for us. (laughs) Yeah. Wow. That's great. Yep. All right. Time for our final segment. Three parts gratitude exercise, one part petty grousing. It's called Peaches and Lemons, and the theme song goes right here. Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. Sick. Amazing. That was the theme song. I'm going to go first with my lemon. I think this is maybe the grossest lemon I've ever done. Oh, I'm excited. So last week, after doing a Memorial Day thing, I got sick. I am not actively sick, but I am expelling all of the phlegm from my mm-hmm. body, of which yeah. there has been, it's been a rough cold. It has just completely sucked and has been terrible, like coughing so so hard I almost threw up. But now that it's all leaving my body, I've been coughing up and like, I was in the shower this morning and I had mm. a palm full of rubbery phlegm that oh. I was that I was pulling out of my nose like a clown pulling like <laughs> scarves from its throat. That's exactly uh-huh. what it was like. And it was disgusting, but I felt so much better afterwards. Oh my God. It's one of those things where it's objectively gross, but also when you get that out, it's like, good, <sighs> stay out. Yeah. It is pretty horrifying to see that come out of my body. So yeah, that's my lemon is just being sick. And then also that cause nasty. Uh, Brian, what's your lemon? Well, my lemon is also medical in a way. So, you know, I get my, I have bad vision. I get my retinas checked every so often. So I was trying to make an appointment with my retina specialist, who's part of the greater UCLA medical system, who generally I've had a great experience with. So here's what I do. I go to the website, look for the doctor's number. I thought it was there, but instead of uh, on his webpage, by the way, I have a hot retina doctor. This guy is like, he has like a glamour shot. He's like this. Hell yeah. Very sexy retina doctor. Well, he needs your eyes to be healthy so you can, so you know, appreciate how beautiful he is. Yeah. Yes. So I'm on his page and there's like, it's his like CV and stuff and there's no contact info. It just says for appointments, call this line. Okay. I call the line. It's like a main switchboard. We're experiencing a high call fan volume, et cetera. I wait on that line for half an hour. I connect through. I say, hi, I'd like to make an appointment with this doctor. And they say, yeah, uh, oh yeah, we can't do that at this line. We will connect you to the people who can. And I was like, but I, I waited half an hour. It said, call here for appointments. And they're like, yeah, they took all the direct appointment information off the website during COVID. So people call us all the time to make appointments and we can't help them. And I was like, okay. So they give me the number. I call. I get through right away and make an appointment. Great. Then I have to do the same fucking thing again for a different doctor. And it's another half hour. And it's another thing. Then they connect me through to someone else. I wait on that line for a while and that person can't help me either. And I ask, uh... you know, in a very kind way, I know the person I'm talking to, this is not their fault. I said, just so I know, for my future reference, where can I find this direct number if I didn't have it? And what is their answer? Nowhere. They have scrubbed this information entirely. So the only way 
to get in touch with these doctors is go through this call system, which I was told always has at least a half an hour wait. And then you will be connected with someone who can't help you most of God, the time. That whips. It's that rules. so fucking stupid. Then, you know, the person I talked to, they, they know this is a problem. They can't do yeah. anything about it. They said, look, we're asking people call the like patient complaint line. Tell them mm. about this because it's a big problem. We need help with this. Okay. So I call that line, go to voicemail. They say, leave your information and we'll get back to you in a day. This was a week ago. Guess who hasn't gotten back to me? <gasps> oh my God. What a nightmare. What a nightmare. And I got it. So the quality of care I've gotten, UCLA has always been great. Yeah, they're very good. But if you can't get in touch with the fucking doctors, who cares? So it's just like, yeah. oh my fucking God. Can we How please, do we not have please, a better system please. than waiting on a call on hold for 40 minutes? Uh, you know, well, some places will do the, the, the system I like where they're like, we have a high volume of calls. You know, put your number and we'll call you right. It's like an automated thing. Like, we'll dial you back when you're next in line. That's great. Why can't we do this? I don't know. Whatever. Someone really fucked up their infrastructure. Sick. Yeah. So that's my that's my limit. Everything worked out. I got the appointments I needed. None of them were urgent anyway. It's just like, you know, maintenance kind of stuff. But still, come on. Put the numbers. Put the numbers on the website. Have a directory. By the way, they used to be there. That's the other thing. They used to be there and they got deleted. So tragic. All right. Peach time. Peach time. PT. Nice. Oh, I will go first. Um, and I'm, I'm doing an unusual thing, which these are not like discrete peaches. I'm just going to mm -hmm. talk about a thing that has been a bunch of peaches for me. This is one mega peach or this is yeah, one. It's, it's a mega okay. peach, whatever. Sure. So as we all know, Homebody came out last Thursday. I spent yep. all of Thursday in a rictus of terror, not looking at the internet because the last time that I shipped a game that I worked on, uh, I had a year-long mental breakdown. So I was very nervous about that happening again. Yep. But then over the weekend, so like to this day, six years later, I can't watch people stream or do Let's Plays of Dream Daddy. It, it, mm -hmm. it freaks me out too much. I can't do it. Makes sense. But... I've been watching people stream Homebody all weekend and it has been so wonderful. It's great. You know, a lot of our friends have played it on stream with like really big audiences and stuff. And I've seen like bigger streamers play it and that's really cool. That is a little bit more stressful because it's like, oh God, that's a lot of people. Sure. But my favorite is I check the Homebody page on Twitch and then I find some sweet gamer with one viewer. Yes. And I go in there and I watch them for like three hours and I give Hell them hints yeah. and stuff. And it's that the greatest rules. shit in the world. I have had like the most beautiful, fun hangouts with like person streaming and they're two friends or whatever. And they know it's you. I will say eventually, you know, help out a little bit or comment and then be like, yeah, I can <laughs> Um and I've just been having a great time. It's really fascinating seeing the different ways that people interact with the game because I think there are a bunch of different types of players. And my favorite are the people who really get invested in the story because mm -hmm. there's a lot of reading in this game. That's the thing that I feel like I need to let people know. There's a lot of dialogue and there's a lot of flavor text. And it's all important. You can skip it, but you're kind of missing the game. And so I, I've watched a lot of people just be like, eh, skip, 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 skip it. And then uh -uh. be like, why? I don't know what's going on. <laughs> it's like, well, you know, it would be nice. You know, that's a very Game Grumps thing of you to do. I but. was just about to say, you mean the Game Grumps way to play games? 
Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we deserve it. But people who get really, really into it and are like connecting things and especially with like the long flavor text that you can find in the game, people who go through and read everything, I love you. You're the best. Because a lot of it lends itself to, if you're reading it out loud, if you're a large ham, it's awesome. Just like if you find flavor text, read it in the hammiest voice possible. And it is really fun. But it's been great watching people get genuinely scared. There was this girl Mm. last night. It was just her and her one friend. And she didn't know anything about the game. And she didn't know it was a time loop. And she didn't know that she had to die. And she was so scared and was hiding in the closet and was like, oh, my God, my hands are shaking. And oh, my God, he's right there. And uh, I I was like, look... Part of this game is dying. And I was like giving her hints and stuff. And I was like, just look at him. He's a silly little guy and he wants a hug. And I was able to like get her to be less scared. Mm -hmm. And then she got like really, really brave and then was figuring puzzles out and stuff. And watching people beat the game and like connect to it emotionally or just watching people like get really stumped and then figure puzzles out. It's just been like such a gratifying and wonderful. And I've like met so many really, really sweet people. And I just, uh, really meaningful and like life affirming. And I just, I really can't thank everybody who's played it enough because it means a lot. And I think it's a cool game. It's great. So those are all my peaches. Fantastic. All right. So that means it's my turn. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. I was waiting for a verbal acknowledgement. I was gatorating. All right. Peach number one. So we started a couple minutes late today mm-hmm. because I got a package here. This might be loud. Live unboxing. Exciting. A live unboxing. Test pressing <gasps> of the Trey Magnifico. Oh my gosh. On vinyl. Now, this is not what it'll look like. This is just a, a test pressing so right. I can listen to it and make sure it's okay. But look at this. Uh, I made an album that is on an actual record. This is the first time I've ever done this for a solo project. And we have done this for wow. Ninja Sex Party, but I do have the sleeve for it, which I'm hiding over here. And it's a beautiful sleeve. It, it's really great. I can't reveal it yet because I'm going to do a whole thing, but I have a record. And I'm going to listen to this came like I watched the FedEx truck pull up just as we were about to start recording. Yep. So that's very exciting. It feels like I love that for you. It has taken a long time to get to this point. I started writing this thing like, I don't know, five years ago or something. Shit. Yeah, it's been a long time. It would have been done way sooner had COVID not been a thing. But yeah, it's like. Well, congratulations, yeah, dude. It's a great album. And I can't Thank wait you. to steal one of those from you. Yes, I'll send one over. Thank you. So that was peach number one. I actually have a test pressing, which I'm going to uh, listen to. Let's see. Other peaches. Rachel went to the library and got me some Sondheim scores to play through. I've been really into Sondheim recently, recently being my entire life, but especially recently, and have been playing through the scores to Company and Sweeney Todd. And that guy is so next level, it's just nuts. The level of writing musically theoretically i've been trying to figure out the theory behind it and it's it's amazing i mean it really is there are relatively few things that i would describe as genius level but his writing his musical writing is it is lyrically he's a, he's incredible but musically and harmonically melodically it's just 
really getting into the guts of these pieces and like figuring out what is going on. It's like he took all the best parts of jazz theory and musical theater theory and just mixes them up and comes out with his own thing. The score for company is very like, there's a lot of kind of like Baccarat influence. There's a lot of classic theater. Uh, it's much like Bossa Nova stuff, which was, you know, Ooh. relatively new at the time. It's so great. It's so interesting to like really get into these and being like, oh, that's what that chord is. Okay, cool. You know, and there's a few things. It's like, you know, one note is a little, whatever. It's great. So I've been having a lot of fun with uh, that. And the theory is very, very interesting. And this guy takes chance, like what I would describe as music theory Hail Marys, which are just like big swings that really fucking work. And yeah, not to draw too much of a parallel here because there literally is none except the surface one, but also a music major at Williams College, albeit, you know, like 40 years before me or whatever it was. So I feel vaguely connected to part of the same lineage. And my final peach is a joke that Audrey made up, which maybe I told you. I was doing things I do sometimes. I will do a little like, I don't know, improv exercises. And I said, we're going to do a thing, Audrey, where I'm going to give you a setup and you have to come up with the punchline or vice versa. Did I tell you this joke? I don't know. So my setup, the setup I gave her was, what's the name of the ugliest elephant in the world? Right. Yes. And her punchline, the answer, Mike. (laughs) What's the name of the ugliest elephant? world mike i love so, it r.i.p mike the world's yeah. ugliest elephant <laughs> which as, as one would expect most of those punch lines are just a thing a kid says and not that funny yeah yeah for whatever reason for whatever reason mike hits I, i've told it to many people and it always gets a laugh it's perfect What's it going to be like, you know, big ears or something? You know, there's a million versions of that joke, which are not actually funny, which are just kind of cruel. But Mm. Mike, Mike is far sadder. (laughs) She's really bringing some pathos to uh, this joke, which I appreciate. Yeah, that's what she's very, very good at. So anyway, that joke has, has stuck with me. So that's my third and final peach. Love that. Yep. Well, and well, so, well. Yep. Another well, episode well, well. in the bag. So once again, dear listener, we come to the end. An episode of Late Night. And I believe this is episode, wait, is this 171? Is that what we're on I now? believe so, Fuck. which is nuts. That is nuts. That means we blew past our three-year mark, which I think we've discussed. We blew past the 69. Um, or was yep. Weiger 69? Weiger was 69, right? That feel, That feels correct. Weiger was 69, and then, uh, yeah, the uh, Gabagool School was gotcha. 170. That's right. So this is 171. It was so cool of Nick to come on the show. And also, he gave uh, Homebody and Jory and I a shout-out on his other podcast, Get Played. Oh, that's I nice. That's I great. haven't listened to that episode yet, but Jory very excitedly told me about that. He's great, yes. Housekeeping, we wanted to establish a precedent that we will probably do a solo episode once a month-ish. Yeah. Which, if solo episodes do better than guest episodes, numbers-wise. They're also far easier to book guests for. Yeah. Booking people and scheduling is very difficult. But 
if you have stuff you want us to talk about on the episode or whatever, yeah. let us know because do our job for us, please. Yeah. <laughs> if you have suggestions for things you'd like to hear or bits or whatever, uh, yeah. let us know. Deep dives, whatever. Shallow dives. Yeah, I, th- I think this was a successful episode. And folks at home, if you like horror games, check out Homebody. It's on. It actually, also, even if you don't like horror games, I think this is a game that you would like. I don't like playing horror games, but I really enjoy playing Homebody. So it's on Switch, PS4, PS5, PC, Xbox. Get it. Mac? No Mac. No Mac. Think. No Mac. But if the you get it, I'll, horror I'll, game. I'll, I'll is blow you video a gaming kiss. on a Mac. Yes, very true. And yeah, if you're if you're streaming it on Twitch, I will probably pop in because I've just been lurking. And that's great. I've seen so many like VTubers and like <laughs> when the tags have like femboy or furry, I'm immediately in. I love oh, yeah. it. That's right. The, the furries, gays, femboys, and theys. God bless you all. And you know what? I feel like that's a good sign off. <laughs> all of you, kisses. Cool. Bye. Bye-bye. Late Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore Night, or email us at LeightonKnight at gmail.com. <laughs>